welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Dr. Karina Smith Podcast. Conversations about yin yoga and Chinese medicine. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a really great conversation with Alma Brock, a counsellor, yoga teacher and someone who's really interested in specialising and supporting people working through trauma. This is the conversation to listen to if you've been curious about polyvagal theory, mapping the nervous system, and have a curiosity about somatic practices and how they might be able to support someone's journey of moving through their healing. This is also a great conversation for us practitioners and yoga teachers so that we can learn a little bit more about how we might be able to regulate our nervous systems depending on what's happening with our clients and our students. It's a really lovely conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Alma. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. And so grateful to see your face and hear your voice. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and welcome to the podcast today. So for those of you listening and watching, Alma and I, we've known each other for quite a few I think we can say quite a few years now because time goes very quickly. We met through the Australian Yoga Academy in Melbourne, Australia, when Alma was doing her yoga teacher training and then we've developed this lovely friendship and things have just rolled from there. And I would like to say that I think of myself as someone who's been and always will be the eternal student who's always been learning more and doing more courses and doing more training. But today we have with us a woman who um, very, you know, sort of in a very similar way has done a lot of training and has learned so much, everything from, you know, the yoga sphere and the mental health sphere. So Alma, we'd love to have you share with us what that journey has been like so far in terms of your learnings and then also where that's led you to this current day in the way that you treat and see clients in your practice. Yeah, awesome. Um, so my background is um, actually in business. So that's where I originally started and I very quickly realized that's not for me. Um, and so I decided to do a counseling degree and um, completed that a while back. Um, and then I started working in drug and alcohol initially. Um, and to be honest, it's, it was a really great space, a very um, just sort of a really rich space to learn, to be honest. Um, but what came up for me was that I felt like there were limitations to how we were approaching the clients that came. So um, I came across um, yoga and I came across specifically actually also the trauma sensitive yoga and um, yeah, I decided to do my yoga teacher training to explore that for myself because I, um, I was practicing yoga at that time and I felt it did me a lot of good. And um, so I did my general yoga teacher training um, where we met at AYA and, um, and then I left my job at drug and alcohol. I just felt like that was not me anymore. And I went into full-time teaching um, and that was an amazing experience in itself because um, I felt like I was able to actually start to embody some of the teachings that I um, was able to receive. Um, 
and again, I, I felt like there was the time that sort of came and I'm like, okay, I, I feel like it's time to move on. <laughs> and so I left the full-time yoga teaching, but I kept sort of teaching on the side. And um, I, at, at that point, I actually had done my um, trauma-sensitive yoga training, which is sort of a specific training um, that was developed in the States uh, for um, sort of... Uh, I guess, combined treatment of people who have experienced complex trauma. And so I started, um, I actually started facilitating yoga in a more therapeutic way at um, detox facilities and the Melbourne Drug Court. Um, but also I, as a counsellor, I built my private practice and I also started working in family violence and I'm still working in, in that organisation at the moment. Um, but long story short, so all of these different experiences actually um, sort of brought up a question for me around what, like, what is it that actually people need and, and come for in, in, in therapy or even in yoga? Like, why, why do people actually come? And, and I feel like a lot of times and, um, you know, I feel like even the recent times with, with um, social isolation and these kind of things, um, have so sort of highlighted that a lot of times I feel like people actually would like to connect, um, whether that's to themselves or whether it's to others. There's a real, um, yeah, inherent drive to connect, to belong, to, um, yeah, to, to be with another person or people. And I felt like the way I was approaching therapy at that point was very sort of head-driven like thoughts and um, analyzing and and that has its value absolutely it, there's a lot of value in that um, but in more recent times and I guess that sort of brings us into the more than now I've been um, very passionate about actually learning how to bring in um, your body into the therapy um, setting too um, so I've been doing lots of studies <laughs> in regards to what that looks like. And, um, and it's interesting because the studies were sort of intellectual, but then a great part of that was actually me practicing all these um, somatic ways to <clears throat> connect to myself. And so that's sort of where I'm at today, where I, I shifted from using more sort of the cognitive approach to therapy. Um, I've shifted more to a somatic um, approach, meaning that our body holds so much wisdom and um, we have an innate capacity to heal. It's just a matter of can we build a capacity to pause and listen and be with whatever comes up in, in our bodies without having to then analyze or judge or, um, you know, use our brain. So um, that's sort of where I'm at at this stage where um, in therapy with clients, I might ask them to, to pause and, and perhaps notice what, what's happening in, in your body as we're speaking about this. And oh, it fills me up. <laughs> I love it. I actually, um, it, it, like from my own practice, but also seeing clients it, um, connecting with themselves, it's, it's so rewarding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's so much in that that I'd love to ask you about. And, well, we can because that's what these, <laughs> that's what these sessions are for. 
something that really stood out in what you just said there was just that shift of, okay, how do, how can I start incorporating the body into these sessions or how do I start creating a space or learn the skills that could be helpful for someone who might be having a traumatic nervous system response and may not even be aware because that nervous system goes off so fast when you get triggered. Sometimes you don't even know that you have abandoned your own body. You don't even know where you are. And to, to be able to then offer somebody a skill, a tool, a moment, a pause, to know that they're safe to pay attention to a feeling and then just help them walk through that moment. Because the other thing that I've really witnessed both in myself and in clients that I have, because I don't have all the training that you have at this stage, I'd love to do a brain download with each other, <laughs> is that when that goes off, the body is also, as you say, wise and clever. And it's got all these amazing tools to actually like shut you down. Mm. Yeah. And that lightning fast response of the nervous system, if you don't have a skill or if you haven't had somebody hold that space with you and help you figure out how to move through the fortress of your own nervous system, that disconnect from the body just happens over and over and over again. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps listening to, to, to what you just said because it is so true. I, what I'm realising is that we as humans, we actually... As a society, uh, we are very disconnected from our bodies and often, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people um, don't have um, even, don't even know about their nervous system, right? So maybe we can start there and then I will come to, to that question. Um, so what I found for myself really helpful is to really understand my own nervous system first. Um, because if you think about human beings, we are co-regulating beings, which means that I'm picking up on your nervous system or my nervous system picks up on your nervous system signals and your nervous system picks up on mine. Um, and if we are both sort of in a regulated state, that's great. Um, if we, and from that place, we can connect and, and share. And, but if, if one of us is triggered, the other nervous system is also picking up on that and it might trigger them into a nervous system uh, survival response, right? So in terms of the nervous system, the way it works is that um, there's something called the polyvagal theory, um, which is um, basically talks about that there's a really big nerve um, sort of going down um, all the way down to our sort of gut and um the the polyvagal theory talks about the that there are sort of three parts of our nervous system that we use and when we are uh, not triggered um it looks like in the top because it's a hierarchy in the top there's the safe place it's called the ventral vagal um nerve and um yeah it's it's a safe place where we are able to think clearly we are able to connect we are able to um to feel safe and calm then underneath that um 
sits the sympathetic nervous system. And when we are not triggered, um, that part of the nervous system is, is there for activation. So, you know, if, if you go for a run, you need more energy, right? You get a bit of energy and, and then maybe you sit down for your breakfast and the energy is sort of um, dialed back, right? And then underneath that, there's the, um, it's called the dorsal vagal um, nerve. And, and that is, again, in a not triggered state, it's actually responsible for digestion. So that's sort of the, 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 I guess, the system, not all of it, but the, the, the relevant stuff for, of the nervous system. Now, if we, if we think about being triggered, um, we have the safe place in the top. Um, what happens to our, I guess, sympathetic nervous system is we get triggered into a fight and flight response. Um, and if you think about sort of that, part of the nervous system in survival it's all about mobilization so can I fight or can I run away um, and often people experience that as sort of elevated heart rate uh, maybe sort of clammy kind of hands or a sense of needing to move as well or agitation these kind of things and um, and then underneath that response is the is the shutdown response, the dorsal vagal, which um, is another survival response. And it's um, the characteristic, I guess, is immobilization. So very, very little movement of uh, often there's numbness, um, sometimes disconnect or dissociation. That's sort of where it lives. And um, it's often people describe sort of feeling like there's just no energy in their system to move like not even to do like very, very basic sort of things in life. Um, now, the reason why that is relevant as a therapist is because um, it's really helpful for me to know where I'm at in my nervous system, right? Because, because we are co-regulating being, if, if, if I have a client and I, let's say I, get, I am triggered, um, the client's nervous system will also pick that up. So one of the really amazing and crucial things that we can do as therapists is to make sure that our nervous system is regulated. And so we are a safe nervous system. Um, and, and so um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to, where to go next because there's so much. Um, I, I guess um, perhaps um, what can I say? The, can I, can I ask a question before you yeah, move on? Yeah, you, while, while you're on um, you don't direct. <laughs> Just a couple of questions to unpack that a little bit before we mm -hmm. traverse on. The fight, flight, freeze that's often spoken of, is that then the dorsal aspect of that? When there is that freeze and low energy and somebody feels that they are, they're so overwhelmed they can't even move. And also, is that what's going on Let's say you've got a couple that have an argument and one person just wants to go at it and fight and, and pull it apart and, and be really animated and energetic in the fight and the other person might actually just completely go quiet and shut down and, and cave in, almost sink in. Would you say from that description of that kind of broad brushstroke hierarchy of the nervous system that that might be what's going on when someone just goes, I, I give up, I'm, I'm out? 
Yes. So um, I'll, I'll answer the first bit first and I'll come to that. Um, it's really interesting because in, um, people often know the fight, flight and freeze, right? Um, and the the freeze response is not quite the shutdown response so um it it's on a on a physiological level what happens is um that in fight and flight it's it's just a sympathetic nervous system or part of the nervous system and then in the freeze response it's a combination of the sympathetic and the dorsal and then in the shutdown responses it's only dorsal so the freeze response is often sort of like that deer in headlights where it's just like literally frozen. Um, and I guess sort of the differentiation is with the shutdown, it's sort of that there's no life energy inside of me anymore. Um, so that's sort of, it's, it's a form of shutdown, but it's not the sort of dorsal, pure dorsal shutdown. And, um, and I guess, um, depending on how, how you work with your clients, that might be something to explore, right? Like how does freeze feel for you and how does shutdown feel for you? So then the, the client can then um, realize, oh yeah, there's a difference. And, and I might need something, like I might need different tools depending on where I'm at, right? But coming, does that make sense? Yes, it does, yes. Yeah. Um, coming to that couple, it's actually really common. <laughs> um, working with couples, I can see that a lot. Um, yes, so you can say um, that the way we engage, it, it comes from that survival response, right? So the fiery, uh, perhaps the fiery person is using their fight, fight response um, as a way to, it's actually often as a way to communicate their needs. However, it comes out as an attack. Um, and, and the other uh, partner, they might use the sort of um, flight response as in withdrawing, moving away, or depending on their history, they might go into shutdown. So I, I think what is important to know is that depending on our history, we our nervous system has sort of sort of a go-to uh, survival response, and what that means is basically depending on our life experiences, um, like whatever has worked the most is is sort of the go-to one. And I think it's important to remember that we don't choose our survival responses, um, especially with people who have experienced trauma. There can be a lot of um, self-blame around, why didn't I fight? Why didn't I run away? So the self-blame is often actually around that shutdown response um, because it is perceived as, you know, I didn't do anything. And so therefore it's my fault, which is, it's not. Um, we don't choose our survival response. Our nervous system evaluates the situation and then do, does whatever it has to do for survival. In that lightning fast response. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to speak to something that I really notice in a yin yoga context. Alma is also a yin yoga teacher. That's also part of her swag. Something that I, I talk about in the trainings and something that I would talk about in a class is, and I think it's also 
using yin yoga as a place where because it's slower to help people get to know themselves a little better definitely getting to know their nervous systems a little better but not stating it but I would always say I would ask those open-minded questions open-ended questions of just just noticing if you if you take yourself quite far into an edge where you're feeling a lot of sensation what else is happening in the rest of your body? Have you started to squeeze your teeth together? Are you clenching your jaw? Are you guarding in your musculature? Because I imagine that's also a sympathetic response, that gripping and tensing, because the body's going, is this safe? I don't know. I'm just, i am got my foot on the brake here. I'm not sure. And are you breathing? Have you, have you, have, are you holding your breath? And then can you try and guide yourself within this experience back to a level of intensity where the breath can move with ease? Yeah. it's yeah so it's, it's really interesting listening to your language because um you're talking about something that I haven't mentioned yet and and it's really relevant right I am um, I, I do agree with you that we're uh, especially in yin yoga where as you said we slow things down and if you if you imagine being in a society and you don't have to imagine because we're <laughs> We're living in, 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 in a society like this, <laughs> um, which is very fast paced. Right? And, and, and so then you come to your yin yoga class and, and you slow down. And often what happens is that um, things automatically come up because they are things that we haven't tended to all day, all week, maybe not for a whole year. Um, and, and then on top of that comes perhaps what you mentioned where, um, again, society-wise, we have been taught that sort of pushing your body is sort of the right thing to do, the, the good thing to do for, for whatever reason, but that's sort of a common belief. Um, and, and so in, in yin yoga, we, we not only slow down and, and have perhaps body memories come up or um, sensations or emotions but we also then push our body even further so it's almost like it's a double threat in some ways um which way it makes sense like that there's sort of like a clenching of the jaw or the teeth or like a holding or holding of your breath like it makes a lot of sense that that is something um that comes in and the thing that um, you were talking about that ha I haven't touched on is um, it sounds like when when you were saying you know like what what do you what do you need to perhaps perhaps to find a bit more of your breath how, what what adjustments do you perhaps need to do or uh, make to find a bit more um, ease or um, softness or regulation it sounds like you're talking about in in some ways you're talking about um, something called the vagal break. So what that is, is it lives between the um, ventral vagal, the top water part, and the sympathetic response. It lives there. And, and what it does is, I was talking earlier, like if you go for a run, you need a bit more activation, right? So the, vent, uh, the vagal break releases a bit of energy. And then when, you, um, when you're at yin yoga, you might sort of need less, um, like, Net less energy because you don't do as much physically, so you you um, release less um, energy. So that's what the ventral uh, the vagal break is for, and we can use that actively as a way to regulate. So um, what helps me, it might help you as well. <laughs> what helps me uh, when I think about the vagal break is I think about it. Um, 
like a handbrake on a, on a, on a bicycle. Right, so if you go downhill, you might want to tighten the brake a little bit more so you don't go too fast. But then at the, at the bottom, you release the brake. And, and, and that's sort of how that vagal brake works. Mm. And, and so breath, um, breath can be really helpful. In saying that, I do want to say that for some people, breath actually is also a trigger. So it's, it's sort of, um, it's, yeah, it, 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 I think it's really important to say that that's the case but just for for a moment if you think about breath actually especially like an out breath that in itself is regulating for our nervous system um, um, and it because it engages that vagal break um, not to make it too complicated but for a person who does feel breath is a trigger what um what might be helpful is movement, like sort of like, can you expand movement or slow down movements? And it could be, it could be movements like this, like um, maybe not in a yin yoga practice, but sort of if they feel um, a bit uh, dysregulated, but in a yin yoga practice, it might be sort of like, can I, can I do a bit of maybe rocking from side to side? Maybe that's something that helps my nervous system. Um, so for those that are just listening, when Anna said do this, it actually looked like she was doing a chi ball exercise oh. with the hands just floating, hands out in front, floating away from each other and then coming back together. And uh, on occasion, I do slip that into a yin class. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it's another way to conceptualize the, the break, the vagal break, but it's also, uh, we were talking about earlier, um, how our body um, has an innate capacity to to heal, and movement is one of them. Um, and 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 allowing movement to happen as it comes up um, can be a way to regulate. Now that sounds really simple. <laughs> it's not that simple because our mind kicks in. It's like, oh, did I do this movement weirdly? Or there's judgment or there's um, all sorts of stuff. Coming yeah. <laughs> mm. but I love that because for so many people that I've spoken to and in my own experiences, sometimes when you're having that fight flight response or even a more deeper traumatic response through that hierarchy, it just feels like there's this really clear divide between where my where my conscious logical place is and where this other aspect of me that the nervous system is guiding and I can't I can't those two things are not communicating because I could be I could be having a memory and then have a response and I my current location could be my house logically i can tell myself what are you having this response for you're safe there's no actual threat here but my nervous system doesn't know the difference so it's there's a, some kind of a perceived threat and then it launches and i feel like what i'm hearing with everything you're saying which is so beautiful is that the body is that bridging place between where my logical thinking reasoning space is and where the nervous system actually lives. So if I have some kind of access to the body, even if it feels clunky or weird, or I feel dorky with whatever I'm doing, <laughs> I'm probably a little bit closer to the, the place where I can find a way to um, 
re-regulate or regulate again versus just trying to think myself to regulation. And that's what I see the struggle being with a lot of my clients because I've not necessarily been able to guide them through a somatic practice. Or maybe I have, but it hasn't been the kinds of things that I know you've learned in your training. And so they feel like they're almost like they've got this split personality. I know there's no good reason for me to be feeling this way. Maybe there's that shame coming up or that why why am I why am I doing this? I know I'm safe, but then it's happening. Yeah. So quickly. And 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 it's really yeah so much so much truth in this um <laughs> when I was listening to you just then what came up was that um when we are triggered um our our sort of the front of our brain actually disconnects and we can't we can't access um our sort of prefrontal cortex where, where we do all the um, you know decision making and, and logical thinking um, so we can't um we can't really talk ourselves out of uh, a survival response it can assist it can assist sort of to look around in your environment and and sort of noting that um it's like yeah i can i can see this this objectively no harm however um your your survival response it might you know it might have picked up on on actually a uh, body memory um that yes has nothing to do with your environment but perhaps uh, something within you was triggered that um so, so it's it still perceives that as a threat and and no amount of I guess talking uh, yourself out of it will really help you moving through, and and it it can become this it can become this sort of visual cycle where, um, you know, you try to talk yourself out of it, it doesn't work, then there's more frustration or more irritation, perhaps because there's a lack of control as well around the way we feel, and then there's. Um, we feel worse, we might feel even more triggered and, and it, it, it just can go around and around. Um, and I think in those moments, you, you, the first, I remember the first question that you asked around, you know, what do you do when, when you actually have a client and, and, and um, you can see or you're assuming there might be a trauma response happening, right? Um, and I think well, first of all, coming back to your own nervous system, because likelihood is that um, watching somebody being triggered might actually dysregulate, you know, your nervous system too. So the first thing is actually to come back to your nervous system and do whatever you have to do um, to regulate. Um, and and that might have to look like you're still in the room because you might not want to leave the, the, the client, um, but it's finding a way to regulate, right? And then from that place, um, it's really about being present, being, being, um, being present, but also being receptive to whatever the other person perhaps sort of shares, because as we said before, the wisdom is in, in your body right so often in a trauma response and we might have to do a little detour here <laughs> um, so what happened what happens when we experience trauma um, is that 
ultimately um, survival energy gets locked in our body. Um, and the way it happens is that let's say there is a traumatic event and our nervous system mobilizes a lot of energy for us to either fight or run away. Right? Um, and if that's not possible, if, if that's not an option, as we said before, we go into that shutdown response. But what happens to that energy is that it, it stays in our body. So it's sort of like you press the brake and the accelerator at the same time. It's just sort of a lot of energy. And when we think about animals, because it happens for animals too, when we think about animals in the wild, um, what happens is, let's say they get a chance to actually um, run away eventually, right? Let's say there's a cheetah, there's a gazelle, the cheetah chases the gazelle and the gazelle's nervous system realizes I'm not fast enough to run and it, it drops. It appears dead, but it's in that sort of shutdown um, response. <clears throat> And let's say the cheetah goes away, gets um, its little babies <laughs> to feed. And in that moment where the, the threat has left, the gazelle has the opportunity to run and, and use that stored energy to get away. Right? So that's, that's sort of naturally what wants to happen in our body. It, the energy wants to come out. And even if the gazelle didn't have that opportunity, it would, it would be killed but what happens in the shutdown response, which I think is pretty amazing, in our brain or in, in, in the animal's brain, um, hormones get released that any kind of pain is perceived as less painful. So even in that sort of death moment, there's sort of nature taking care of, of, of that animal because um, it's not as painful as um, it perhaps would be if it wasn't in that state. Which oh. I want to ask about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> the first thing I want to say is that Alma and I have talked about this a little bit before because we often go for long walks and talk about our dogs. <laughs> and one of the things I said to Alma was, I noticed that if my dog Larry has a fright or if he's really overstimulated, he shakes it off and then it's out of, out of his body. I said, why don't we do that? Because Alma was telling me this exact same analogy of the animals in the wild and how they, they innately have this way of clearing it so they don't harbour it, but that we don't necessarily do that. Or maybe we did do that one once upon a time, but we don't tend to do it now. And then you're right, it is locked in the body. Yeah. And I think also sometimes when we're talking about practices like yin yoga, where stretching a particular part of the body or focusing in on a particular part of the body or even just slowing down the breath like you say and things that have not had the time or the space to even be felt can bubble up and a lot of a lot of those things can rise to the surface and be very intense for people yeah that the unlocking can happen yes and and um you know, coming back to Larry and, and uh, he was sort of taking it off. And we, um, that's what our body wants to do, right, um, naturally. And it, it literally can look like shaking or trembling. That's actually often how um, that energy can get released. Um, but what happens is our mind kicks in and we get really afraid of this enormous amount of energy. And, and you know, to be fair, like, it's probably really scary to to have like 
that amount of energy release, it feels out of control. Right. And, um, and so what we do is we shut it down with our mind. We avoid, we, we, we do whatever we have to do to shut it down. And when it comes back up, let's say in, in yoga, I do, like, that there's, let's say a body memory that comes back up, likelihood is that what we do is shutting it back down because we're in a yoga class and um, it's, it's inappropriate. We have all sorts of beliefs that um, we hold as well around why expressing that is not safe right now mm-hmm. or not appropriate. Um, and, and there's some truth to that too, because often when um, trauma has become locked in our bodies, um, it's really important to have some support around that actually. It's, it's like the way to release that is never to just jump in and release it all because likelihood is that we will get overwhelmed again and we shut it back down. So it's about little, um, small little bits and very slowly. Um, but yeah, that's that's perhaps why in, in yin yoga, um, it when we slow down and we hold positions that hold perhaps body memories, um, or it might be the way we we um, we tense our muscles. Right? Memory. When we think about memory, we often think about sort of a story, or we think about um, maybe a sensation. Um, or an emotion and it's it's it can be really really subtle i guess that's what i'm saying and so in yin yoga that can come up absolutely um and it might not even be in our awareness and 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 i guess that's sort of where when it's not in our awareness we're even more likely to shut it down because it's like this thing is happening i don't like it i'm going to shut it down and, and it gets just locked again in in our bodies I'm thinking of a client that uh, once was sharing the the details of the traumatic event that they had been through and before they could even get the words out, they were violently shaking. That makes so much sense now. Yeah. And something else I'm just reflecting on is a question that I get asked a lot in yin yoga teacher trainings is, what do you do as a teacher when you see somebody in the class having an emotional response? The thing I often say is, or some of the things that I might respond to that with, I will often say, if someone's actually feeling safe enough for tears to come out, it's kind of a big deal in the sense that what you just said before is our our natural response to keep face and keep contained and not make a fuss and all the other things that come up psychologically with why we would never want to be so vulnerable Mm -hmm. is to shut it down. But if they actually feel like that thing has come all the way to the surface and it is being cleared, that can be a wonderful thing. But also it might just shove it back down if I was to rush over and be like, you okay? What's wrong? So I say to them what what I will do, depending on how enormous it is I've only had a couple of people who've had quite big emotional responses in classes that I'm aware of I would do something like if I was physically in the space without being too obvious maybe just slide a box of tissues into their periphery without entering their space and if I had a pretty good relationship with that student depending I would have to really check with my intuition as to whether this was the right thing to do I might lightly 
for a couple of seconds, just gently place my hand on their upper back without saying anything. But, but right from my heart, I would be sending heart chi into their back to say, you are supported. Yeah. And then leave their space. What do you think about that? And what else might we want to do? Question. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, right? Um, I think... I think what, what you mentioned is, is so valid in regards to if you rush over there, uh, it probably most likely will just sort of um, tell the person to, to shove it back down, even if your intentions are great. Um, so I think perhaps what to think about in that case is, um, first of all, again, checking your own nervous system. Am, am I wanting to go over to that student because I feel uncomfortable? Oh, good one. <laughs> <That's a> good <laughs> one. <laughs> um, even, and it, it doesn't even have to be going to them physically, but even words, it's like, am I saying this right now because I see this student having an experience and I feel uncomfortable and I want to, I, I, I need to, do something about my own state. Mm -hmm. um, so that's perhaps sort of a one, one sort of checkpoint. It's like, hang on a minute, what's, what's happening inside of me right now? And then before doing anything, regulating your, your, your nervous system. And the reason why that is important is because let's say you do have a, um, a really good uh, relationship with that student. And let's say um, you had a conversation even about touch and, and, and they are open to that. And because touch is a very controversial, big topic, maybe too big for that now. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, there's a lot of like appropriate um, trauma-informed touch is hugely healing or can be, right? So let's say all of the sort of boxes are ticked in terms of what you can do to ensure that you have this relationship with that student prior, right? And that has been done over, over the amount of time that you've known that student. And then you see that student having that experience. The reason why it's important to check in with yourself first is because the person who is touching, they place their nervous system state on the other person. So can you say that again? Say that again. <laughs> People need to hear that again. <laughs> um, so the person who is offering touch, they are placing their nervous system state onto the other person, mm. which when you're regulated, that can be that healing hand, that can be that hand on the back that feels safe, that feels, you know, calm, and that can be hugely healing. However, if you're not regulated and you're in one of your survival responses, you transfer that onto the student and, and you actually, you, you do more harm, to be honest. Right. Like in that touch, if someone's not regulated, it might say, I really need you to be okay because your discomfort is making me really uncomfortable and now I'm, I'm on edge. Yeah. And then that's going to be more like extra static going into that person. Yeah, and 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 uh, often it can be uh, perceived or um, it it can land in their nervous system as they, there's something wrong with me. Mm. Oh. I need to be different to be accepted. 
Right. And then all sorts of things can spiral. Yeah. And, and then we have Pandora's box that has just opened up. <laughs> yeah. I often say to my students, without, you know, I guess I'm saying it in a different way, but this is so great to have what you've just offered feeding into that from now on is that touch always has an agenda. Mm. So if you feel in any way off balance, just trust your words first or give it a little bit of silence before you rush over and use your hands on someone else's body because so much is said with, the with touch, way more than you could ever say with your actual words. And so if you haven't got it right with your words yet, or if you feel any kind of resistance or hesitancy, don't do it. Yeah. And I, I think it's a really nice way to put it. Um, and, and I think what might sort of um, bring a bit more comfort or confidence to sort of new teachers or even experienced teachers, doesn't really matter, is how powerful um, our own nervous system state can be. So if we really want to help, we can help by regulating ourselves because then like the student's nervous system will pick up on ours and that might be that safe witness that they need to really release right to allow your body to use its wisdom oh i'm getting goosebumps all over <laughs> um to you know to, to allow um the wisdom of your body to to do what it has to do in the presence of a safe witness. Wow. And given that a lot of the people that will be listening to this are yoga teachers or practitioners, maybe they're acupuncturists, I think that's so important uh, because, it, you know, people may, may listen to this and want to go, oh, yeah, I'd love to do some trauma-informed training or I'd like to learn a few more somatic techniques or practices that I can bring in but you're so right the first thing that I think is going to be the most valuable hopefully that people can take away from this is all right if that's happening in front of my eyes in a classroom or on the table with a client oh how do I oh notice that I'm first responding to that other nervous system in here that I'm wired to especially because of how how empathetic practitioners are as well we feel things so deeply <laughs> how do we then just check our own nervous systems first have some kind of way that we can come back to center first within ourselves whether we offer a technique or not just the calming or the, or, or the regaining of that stable center within us could actually have a really powerful ripple effect yeah and I don't know if it's too soon for this. I don't know if there's more we want to dig into. I feel like you and I, you and I could talk for ages because we just have great things to discuss. One of the things that Alma wants to offer us today is to guide us through something that she has found really useful. Is it too soon for that? Are there other things that you wanted to speak to from all the um, things we've discussed? Look, I feel like there's more, but I, I also I feel like there's always more. Uh, maybe maybe one thing that I do perhaps want to. Uh, just put out there as a, as a way to get to know your nervous system just sort of a little brief kind of note um what 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 can be really helpful is, is to create a bit of a map for yourself and to 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 write down okay so how does how does how does each state feel like for me 
Mm. And um, because, and that's something that I haven't mentioned, but I'm going to mention it briefly, because what happens is that our state impacts the way we view the world. And I feel like that's, we could talk a lot about that. I just want to put it out there and let that just sort of stand in, in the space. So our state uh, changes the way we view the world. And in any given situation, effectively, there are three stories. The story of the safe place, the story for, uh, of the fight and flight, and the story of the shutdown. So once you're familiar with how the different states feel in your body, in, in a situation where you get triggered, you might then be able to, first of all, recognize that. And you can also uh, check in. It's like, okay, well, which, which lens am I looking at uh, from right now? And what would this story um, sound like, feel like from, from the other two states? Right? And so that can be sort of a way to start getting to know your nervous system. Um, and there's more, but we can leave it there. <laughs> There could, there could very easily be a second podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could definitely do another one of these. Yeah. Also, it sounds like in that from other, other practices that I have, it also sounds like the difference between what does it feel like, what are the kind of thoughts that run through my mind when I do feel calm, peaceful, steady, safe versus if I feel like I'm under some kind of attack? Where do I go if I feel like even for an instant there's a sense of threat or even a perceived victimhood? You know, if I feel like something is coming at me and I've gone into my victim state, what kind of thoughts then travel through my mind? What response do I have in my body? Mm -hmm. Because as you said before, for me personally with my own spiritual practices, the difference between those two places that I can be in vastly change the the way that I perceive the world because if I perceive the world as a place where everything is in flow and everything is fine and I am safe I'm so expanded but if I feel like I'm under attack or I'm trying to pull away from certain things because I have a perceived threat there then the world can feel like a dangerous place and then I'm I I contract in yeah. and I want to pull away and I think, it, yes, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because we are able to connect with others in that top part in our, of our nervous system, in that safe place. When we go into survival and when the world becomes dangerous, um, we, we, we disconnect from, from our environment and, and, and often, unfortunately, also from ourselves as a way to survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess perhaps um, just sort of one, one note on that too, the, when we are triggered versus when we feel safe, we might actually diff need different things to, to regulate, to, to, to look after ourselves. Um, like if, if, if we're in a shutdown response, we don't need to go for a run because there's literally no energy. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, there's sort of a story in your mind that going for a run sh should be good for me or is helpful. And it can be helpful, but maybe not in that state. Yeah, right. 
So the so, mapping also includes what am I, what are the, what's going to be helpful for me if I'm in this state versus the things that are just, I've always thought was like a blanket. This will fix it. Or this will make me feel better. Sure. If you've got the energy, <laughs> but if not, well, what's on the map for that? Yeah. How have I mapped out what helps me when I'm in shutdown? Yeah. So it's sort of like finding, you can, you can um, call them vent, uh, what, what do they call ventral anchors um so basically finding um different things that you might do or not do like it, it's not about doing <laughs> but you know it might be about you could um sit in the sun so you don't you don't really actively do anything but you know that might be something that you could write down um so depending on where you're at yes you can then start to identify ah oh, this is what I need in those moments I always tried this other thing and it never worked and it frustrated me but now I can I can really see yeah I just want to sit in the sun yeah um a few years back I I've kind of gone up and down the swells of burnout <laughs> as many people have a few years back someone introduced me to the idea of writing myself a self-care plan without all of this amazing detail of what can be going on. But what I had to do was write myself two different self-care plans. I had to write one for when I had energy. And so the things that were on that list might've been go to five rhythms and go dancing or walk along the water or all these other things. But then if I was totally cooked, those things were not useful or helpful because I didn't have the energy for it. And then yeah, that would make me feel even worse about where I was at. So I had to have a completely different self-care plan for when I was exhausted. And they might have been things like uh, YouTube videos that always cracked me up laughing, like a blooper reel from, from a funny show uh, or particular comf comforts like listening to Pema Chodron or something like that. So it meant that I had, yeah, the, the, the building blocks of a map where... I probably didn't know what was going on in my nervous system, but I just knew I did or didn't have the energy. Yeah, I like that. that that's mm -hmm. a really nice way. And 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 I guess sort of with that added knowledge of the ner nervous system, what can what can happen for people is that it's it's almost like it gives them permission to not do, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 mm -hmm. yes, it is. I, I think it's very unfortunate that we often do need that permission for ourselves. But it's like if, if we use the nervous system as a way to really guide us, it's like my biology tells me right now that I need rest. So that's the permission here, right? I'm not lazy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I want to watch funny videos or, mm -hmm. you know, or, um, it, it, yeah, that's sort of that added, I feel like, almost validation too it's like it's okay I'm allowed to do that it's it's okay I'm taking care of myself and this is how it looks on the day when I act when I have energy and on the days when I don't and people's language people's language can be really tough I hear a lot of people say oh I should mm. xyz oh, I really should go to yoga more I should do this and they're always things that require a lot of effort and the way that they say it doesn't necessarily come from a place of joy or craving. It's just that they should. And I say to them, just have a practice this week of replacing your shoulds with coulds. 
could do yoga. So there's that choice, that permission-based choice versus oh, I really should blah, blah, blah. Because even sometimes when people do give themselves that permission to have a cup of tea and read a book, there's that weird rumbling of, of guilt underneath that if I have time, I should be doing more. And in the yin yoga context, I always say, we live in such a yang driven society where even if you're not aware of it, you've been so deeply programmed that your worth is equated to your productivity. Mm. And it's really, really hard to start rewiring that program. Even if you're listening to this amazing information, because it's so it's, we've been soaking in it our whole lives. Yeah. Yes. And um, I guess which is sort of the whole topic of what we've been talking about today is the the, the biggest way to to do that to reprogram right, is to to practice to 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 actually come back to your body and and to listen and to practice listening too because we're not necessarily uh, we might not know how to listen right but yeah it's sort of like once you um, once you have the evidence within yourself, even if it's like this tiny moment, that's sort of then something that you can build on, right? And the shoulds will fall away. Um, and, and often people do feel more alive and more connected. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling this sensation right now. Okay, curious. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and there's no need to figure out what it is. It's just like, yeah, okay. And, and it might guide me to, to move my arm in a certain way. Oh, yeah, cool. Hmm. And it, like, it's kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and so it becomes an embodied practice and it becomes, it becomes the way you live your life. Mm. Um, I also offer that I think sometimes it's really helpful to seek out somebody who can hold that space with you and help help you to get through those first really strong barriers of um, feeling like it's okay to explore. Yeah. And, and then you, you might only need a few sessions or you might end up working with that person for a long time. I can speak from my own experience that the, shut, the shutting down and the intensity of what happens in my nervous system when, I, when I'm reacti reacting, the... the it's been so invaluable to have my own therapist who's been able to hold that space fiercely but with so much gentleness so that I can actually start to be with that intense discomfort and start the way I describe it it's like just slowly starting to untie all these micro knots mm. and I don't think I would have been able to do on my own because when that reactivity happens Sometimes you do need someone to be there with you. Yeah. And again, the goosebumps come. It's so true. Right? Um, being in therapy um, and, and therapy is, is great because it is sort of, there's, a, there's this other person there specifically for you. So that's sort of the difference to friends where it's a two-way relationship. But yeah, I, I, I resonate a lot in my experience in, in, uh, having gone to therapy and still am <laughs> ever learning um it's 
it's amazing to be offered that safe space to um to start looking inside like i used to describe it in a way where it's like i feel like there's another room on the other side but i don't know where the door is mm. and and i feel like through therapy i have discovered there's a door there, ah, okay and, and I, I need to do this to open this and and wow there is another room I knew it <laughs> and, yeah. and it's and you know it's it's not a once you found the room it's gonna it's gonna be like that either it's sort of that organic kind of ebb and flow but yeah I think you're so right um that seeking support um can be just such a gift for for your own self um to yeah slowly um unfold and, and discover i love that analogy of the door because i too resonate with that idea that there are these things in me that i can't i can't seem to access because the cleverness the wisdom of my body to protect me mm. has also compartmentalized them away from me being able to get to them and feel safe to just look around yeah. and I think that the space holding has allowed me to go oh I'm just going to come I can, I can come back a little bit from this razor's edge and have a look at this mm. and go through it without my body cleverly bypassing it or diverting it or flicking me off to where I know I feel safe but then it's all happened so quickly it's like I've I've, I've jumped over it and now I don't know how to go back and look at it because it's all, it's all, it's all done and dusted in a couple of minutes. Whereas this person can just hold my hand and go here, I've got you. It's okay. Have a look. Yeah. Might just be a peak. Yeah. But we'll, we'll do this at your pace. And, I, and the other thing I think that's really important is that when you're dealing with this stuff and everyone has their stuff, there's no, there's no set trajectory on how, how quickly the knots need to be untied. And sometimes they will never be untied, but you will just get to know yourself. You will just get to know yourself better mm. so that in those moments you have a little bit more skill in how to hold your own space. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, and and I, and I like what you you just mentioned that idea of there's no trajectory, like, and and not not even in regards to time, but also in regards to how it actually looks. Right? We might think, oh yeah, there's this thing, and I want to get there, and once I get there, it's all I don't know. Better, <laughs> I'll be healed. <laughs> <laughs> and often it looks very differently, and 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 you know what you just shared about maybe having a little peek and then saying, okay, this is enough for today. We'll visit that in a month's time <laughs> or maybe in a week time. Right? But, but doing it slowly um, and like not slowly, but like super slowly um, to really just honor, honor ourselves. Um, because any kind of healing, it doesn't occur by, by, by rushing it rushes it's programming again isn't it because that's how we we have been taught to do things faster and the more intense the better the, the harder you push yourself the more you'll get out of it yeah 
that just might be way too much. Like for me, a little peak, it might take me a couple of weeks to integrate that peak. And that was a microsecond. Okay. (laughs) That's going to need a whole bunch of time for me to sit with. And yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Mm. Knowing that that is okay, that, yeah, you might speak to your therapist or your practitioner of sort and and then you you might feel really off and 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 it takes time to integrate before you feel like yeah we could have another look <laughs> yeah yeah it's big work it is <laughs> i feel like we've been on a journey absolutely yes this has been so amazing Oh, I, you know, when you're, you're listening to information and your whole body, your whole body is excited. That's the feeling I've had this whole conversation. It's so great. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I it really, it, it, it lights me up from the inside. <laughs> yeah. and, and being able to share that too, I feel like it's knowledge that everyone can benefit from, right? So I'm really excited that, yeah, that we are, talking about this and and people are able to listen to this and and then integrate that into their own life and in however they like to do that and if people want to learn a little bit more about the topics that you've introduced here maybe we can put some links that you have found useful in the show notes if people want to go and start doing a bit more of their own study yes absolutely we can do that yeah wow how do you feel about um guiding us through something yeah I like that um I'll explain to you first what what we're going to do just so you have a bit of an idea and and then I'll guide you through so um the practice just just before we do that maybe is this a safe thing to do let's say someone's listening to this and they're driving their car Do we, need, do we need any disclaimers if people are operating heavy machinery whilst they listen to podcasts? I would, I would encourage people to find a place where they can be undisturbed for a few, few minutes. Um, eventually, um, you, you might be able to use this practice in your car. Um, maybe it's not the best place to start. So perhaps... Maybe pause and come back if you are on your way. Oh, exactly. You can, you can sort of tune back in. Um, and, and and I guess, yeah, so basically just finding um, a, a place um, where you can be undisturbed for, for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, the type of practice I was thinking of is... Um, it's called a back body practice and 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 i guess the especially for practitioners but not just only for practitioners also you know individuals in the world um there can be sometimes a real sense of being alone in this and being alone with with your clients and having to hold all this stuff that is coming up all by yourself and um, that can be really difficult for our nervous system Um, and and this back body practice I guess it's a it's an embodied it's an embodied way to um, access some of the supports that um, that you hold within your body um, that are perhaps around you too Um, 
And I would encourage people, if, if this practice resonates, I would encourage people to um, perhaps uh, incorporate that as a sort of um, regular practice. And the reason for that is because the more you practice this, the more your body develops a memory of it. So then when you're with the client, um, you can easily access it. Um, so yeah, if, if this resonates, feel free to practice it as often as you like. Um, and also if at any point this practice becomes not useful, feel free to stop or do something different. Um, it's, it's your choice. <laughs> So feel free to maybe make any kind of movements that you might like to make. Um, I heard recently like describing this sort of moving around as like being a fussy cat sort of before they settle in for their afternoon nap. And I really like that sort of like just making some movements. And taking your time with that, eventually finding a seated position with your body and I will practice together with you and I will have my eyes closed because it helps me to guide you through but feel free to have your eyes open or closed depending on what feels useful to you and perhaps initially taking a moment to notice where your body is supported by the surface beneath you maybe the surface behind you. If it's useful, you're welcome to perhaps take an inhale through your nose and an exhale through your mouth. Whenever you're ready, taking a moment to become aware of the front part of your body. So noticing your forehead, the rest of your face, your throat, your chest, your arms. your belly, your pelvis, fronts of your legs, and the tops of your feet. And then allowing the front of your body to soften, whatever that looks like for you. Noticing how bringing in softness feels in your body right now. Allowing the front of your body to soften. In your own time, shifting your awareness to the top of your head And then imagining a center line all the way from the top of your head, all the way down to your sit bones. And then 
allowing your breath to travel up and down this channel. If it's useful, you could imagine some color or some light in that channel too. You could use your breath as it is. Allowing your breath to travel up and down that channel. Knowing that there's not a right or wrong way to practice this. Maybe taking another five to eight rounds of breath. Allowing your breath to travel from the crown of your head to your sit bones and then all the way back up. And whenever you feel ready, there's no rush. Shifting into your back body. And that shift is like a micro movement. So moving from that center line, like a tiny little movement into your back body. Might not be visible at all. And noticing the back of your head, the back of your neck, shoulder blades, back of your ribs, lower back. your pelvis, back of your legs, perhaps the soles of your feet, and then you can experiment with shifting between being in your back body and moving back into that center line and as I said it's a tiny micro shift so maybe experimenting between moving from your back body back into the center line and back into your back body noticing what that feels like for you to make this micro shift Staying here for a little while longer. And if it's useful, when you're in your back body next, perhaps pausing here, maybe imagining 
the support that you do have in your life. Having your back. So it could be people, it could be animals, it could be nature, it could be really anything that feels supportive. Noticing the support. And as you're noticing the support, perhaps paying attention to how the rest of your body feels. Allowing this to imprint into your nervous system, a sense of support. Whenever you feel ready, to shift back into that central channel. Taking a few rounds of breath here. And then if you had your eyes closed, starting to open your eyes, perhaps leaving your gaze soft, as you're welcoming your environment, perhaps noticing what it feels like to connect with your environment after this practice. Whenever it is a useful time for you, you're welcome to expand your awareness, perhaps looking around. You're welcome to bring in movements, however you might like. <sighs> welcome back. Hmm. If there's anything that you'd like to share as you've done that just now, you're welcome to, but it's equally uh, valid to actually keep that experience to yourself too. Wonderful. Yeah. I might, um, yeah, I might, I might choose to not hear so that it doesn't, influence the experience that people listening might have had. Yeah. You know, as if here's something to measure up against. Just like that. One thing that I perhaps want to say about this practice, especially using it with clients, um, you might not be able to do the full practice with your eyes closed and, and spending as much time as we just did. Right? But 
what you are able to perhaps do is to notice when you lean forwards or when you sort of are very engaged and, and consciously coming back into your back body right? and feeling the support. So that's a way to do it while you're with the client and you can have your eyes open and, and literally sort of connecting with that support of your back body in that moment. Mm. Be a really great way for people to conserve energy. Yeah. You're know, holding space all day with people without necessarily the awareness of how forward or how much you might be bracing into the front of your body to hold the space with your actual reserves mm. that you might actually come away from the day feeling not as tired. If that's something that happens for people, that's yeah. what came up for me was this feeling of, oh, this is a way to help me conserve energy, but still be really present. Yeah. It's actually yeah. something that, oh, sorry, something that, something that um, Joe Buick shared with me, the amazing Joe Buick, the Melbourne-based practitioner. When I was running the big yoga teacher trainings and I would be cooked and she just offered to me, hey, whenever you notice and you have the opportunity, if you happen to be sitting near a wall, lean into that surface as opposed to feeling like you've got to be forward on your elbows, listening with your whole body, lean back and listen. And it profoundly changed the way I felt at the end of each day. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it's very much that. Yeah. If people would like to connect with you, Alma. So at this point in time, Alma and I are both in Melbourne, Australia, but Alma also offers online sessions which is fabulous how, how can people connect with you um the, probably the best way to connect is through my website so it's my first name and my last name so it's a l m a b r o c k dot com dot au so it's almabrock.com.au and um yeah that's probably the best way um to connect and yeah start with journey that in the show notes as well so that people can if you've just, if you're still in your back body and you're, you're like, what was that? Check <laughs> your notes for that. And that, that's how people could reach out or maybe even have a session with you or start working with you. Yes. So um, you're always welcome to, we can have like a free sort of call, for like 15 minute call if you just want to get a bit of a sense of you know if whatever it is that you you want to have help with if if that's something I can help you with and yeah um then we can book a session or we can book a session straight away if you're sort of um certain that you'd like to work with me so <laughs> oh fantastic wow thank you so much for all that you've offered in this session I I can already get the sense that many people are going to come away from listening to this with yeah so much value in this session Mm. Oh, thank you thank you I really enjoyed this and and I just my heart feels full it always feels full when I actually speak to you and it feels even fuller um being 100% likewise over here I feel amazing (laughs) I feel so good (laughs) and I hope that that she that we've cultivated between us I hope that if you're listening you can also feel that because it's it's big right now. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening and joining us in this conversation today, everybody. And I think we, I think we 
finish it up here. Thanks, Alma. No worries. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye for now. To view the show notes from this episode and to subscribe, visit drkarinasmith.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to check out Karina's online courses at drkarinasmith.com forward slash courses and use promo code SAVE10 to get 10% off.